Today is October 17, 2018, and this is another National Creditors Bar Association Creditors' Rights In-Depth Podcast. Our topic today is the psychology of collections, and joining us to speak on our topic is James Todd. Uh, James is a, manages the litigation, recovery, and collections group at the firm Gerner & Kern CO, um, where he represents lenders in state and federal court in both consumer and commercial recovery and litigation matters. His experience includes representation of numerous financial, healthcare, and government entities from the earliest stages of the litigation process all the way through appellate matters. Jim has lectured on FDCPA and creditors' rights matters for the National Business Institute and the Warman Institute, as well as authored several articles on current regulatory and compliance evolutionary impacts on the financial industry. James, welcome to our podcast today. Thanks for having me. So we're going to look here at some personality types and their relationship with consumer debtors and some of the behavioral patterns and some of the coping mechanisms, and uh, hopefully this will help uh, both our attorneys and many of their staff members out there try to to get a little bit uh, more insight into uh, how they can improve the experience for both themselves and for the the consumer debtors that they're dealing with along there. So I'm going to start out with... uh, uh, I know you had mentioned that there's nine uh, personality types uh, that uh, we probably should be looking at. So why don't we start out there, and you can give us some some background to that. Sure. And I do want to caution uh, from the outset that uh, depending on what one reads, uh, there could be anywhere from four to 400 personality types, depending on, I guess, uh, uh, which Ph.D. thesis or otherwise you might read. <laughs> Um, uh, the Enneagram method, which has received a lot of acclaim and criticism, is uh, one that I uh, I tend to kind of rely on, in at least in my practice, because it does represent a good middle ground. And from my experience, it, uh, it represents a reasonable subset of the population of, uh, of personalities that I encounter during my practice, and I believe that others encounter as well, not only... Uh, from the consumer debtor side of things, uh, but also clients, employees, and otherwise. Um, and to that end, uh, I think today this podcast will likely be, at best, more of a scratching of the surface. Um, Absolutely. Uh, but if you, if you like, I can certainly go through these uh, uh, the nine basics on the Enneagram with a very, very, very short description of each and kind of what you're looking at with each individual. Yeah, I think that would be very helpful to our listeners. Sure. Um, So each one of these uh, basic personality types uh, has a kind of core um, uh, description or what are the positive traits that one might see with that personality types and what are a couple of the weaknesses that you might see. So starting with the first one, which is known uh, colloquially, all of them are known colloquially by their respective names. The first one is called the reformer. Uh, this person is generally identified as uh, they're very self-controlled and a principled individual. Um, that being said, uh, when taken too far, they can become a bit of a perfectionist or perhaps too focused with uh, with their purpose in, in certain pursuits. Um, the second one that you see is known as the helper. Um, you see this quite frequently in nonprofit organizations. There seems to be a gravitation there, but the name is what it sounds like. Uh, it's a caring person. Uh, they're known for a value of interpersonal relationships. Um, the trade-off to this is at times they can become a bit of a uh, obsessive with being a people pleaser, and at times they can be uh, a bit possessive as well. 
the third one uh, that I'm sure almost every organization has, um, maybe we know this one is more of a type A, uh, but it's the achiever. Uh, it's that driven, um, uh, pragmatic individual. Um, they're known for uh, being very adaptive uh, to whatever stressful situations they may encounter, uh, very much the old Marine Corps adapt and overcome type situation. Um, that being said, the weakness to this is uh, they can be very, very um, uh, shallowly uh, success and or image oriented. Uh, so how they are perceived by others, they can oftentimes uh, uh, fall into one of the other categories or they may just share that as a similarity with one of the other categories. Now the fourth one is known as the individualist. Uh, again, it's kind of self-descriptive, uh, but they are known for being a bit sensitive and withdrawn, um, as well as uh, uh, they can be a bit dramatic or self-absorbed, uh, and quite frequently they can become very temperamental. But to that end, on a positive note, they are very, um, very keen on maintaining their sense of individuality in life, which, uh, which allows for... Uh, uh, unique creativity in many of their pursuits. Uh, now number five is known as the investigator, uh, cerebral type person who's very, very perceptive, or at least they pride themselves on being perceptive, uh, known for making very, um, uh, very few impulsive decisions. Uh, they like to get the majority or uh, the most amount of facts they can before in making any type of decisioning. However, they can be at times a bit secretive or uh, sometimes isolated as well. And uh, if they don't feel like they're getting all the facts, uh, they can withdraw more into that isolation. And the sixth is known as the loyalist. Uh, this is a person who's once you earn their trust, uh, you're, uh, they will be committed to you. Um, they are also known for uh, being a very engaging and responsive person, uh, especially when they're interacting with those who they perceive as being loyal to them. Uh, to that end, the counterpoint to this is they're also known for a uh, trend towards uh, anxiousness uh, as well as suspicion of those who either don't have their trust yet or, uh, or may perhaps be acting in a way which would cause them to question that. Number seven is the enthusiast. Think fast times at Ridgemont High. Uh, this is the person who very much likes spontaneity. Um, they can be quite a busy person, but most of that is is geared towards what is going to result in their emotional self-satisfaction. Uh, as I said, they can be spontaneous, and a positive is they can be quite versatile throughout their lives. They're happy to try lots of different things. Um, the trade-off to this is not necessarily an ADHD-type syndrome, but they are easily distractible and at times can get a bit scattered, uh, especially if they have too many what they perceive to be fun things uh, bouncing around in their lives. Number eight is the challenger, and I don't refer to this one uh, uh, as a uh, power tripper, but it kind of can be at times, not to the point of uh, you know, psychopathy, but um, they are known as being domineering or dominant, uh, quite powerful. Uh, to that end, they have positive traits that will fall within uh, uh, the good realm of self-confidence and decisiveness. Uh, 
Um, you take those too far, however, um, and you can get into a bit of unnecessary willfulness maybe, um, and certainly at times they can adopt a confrontational attitude. Um, and then number nine is known as the peacemaker. Um, this is relatively easygoing person, not dissimilar from the enthusiast, um, but uh, they are relatively agreeable people. At times they can be a bit self-effacing. Um, they are uh, very much looking for uh, receptive uh, re reassurance in their lives, uh, and they will do the same for others. Now, to that end, that agreeableness can oftentimes drive them to conflict avoidance, uh, as well as uh, they can develop a little bit of complacency with, uh, 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 with regard to their relationships with others. That's kind of a brief breakdown of the nine basic types, and I'm, I'm sure, Mark, as you were hearing that, um, you could probably identify one individual in your life that, that probably fit within each one of those molds. I was trying to figure out exactly which one of them, if not all nine, that I fit into. No. <laughs> anyway. Well, you can, you um, can change from one to the other. It, it happens throughout people's lives as they go through uh, their, uh, their basic development. I would think so. So relative to um, – you know, litigation and, uh, you know, the legal world and court hearings and, you know, finding yourself in significant financial debt and everything, I would assume uh, that each of these types of personalities reacts to those situations in different ways. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, maybe a collector on a phone may see or an attorney may see, you know, in a, a first-time hearing where they're, they're meeting that, that consumer debtor for the first time? You know, what are some of the coping and defense mechanisms that they, they may see with uh, some of these personality types? Sure. And some of these personality types tend to be encountered more than others. Um, it requires, I guess, a little bit of a backup to describe, you know, what psychologically uh, indicates well-being or a lack thereof for any one of these individuals. And it's been defined and discussed by psychologists uh, throughout the world, actually, and it, uh, it basically is defined as uh, control over the day-to-day, month-to-month finances, um, as well as the capacity to absorb any unforeseen financial shock. Uh, while being on track to meet uh, any mid- or long-term financial goals, uh, as well as having the financial freedom to make those choices allowing for, quote-unquote, enjoyment of life. Um, if any and or all of these uh, become hit, uh, or uh, at least that person's perception of having control or freedom over that um, is, uh, is reduced or eliminated, they're going to take different tacts. Um, to that end, uh, you see that some of these personality types might trend more towards uh, a generally financially stable type person. Um, for that, uh, to that end, the loyalist is uh, is known very, very much as uh, uh, being financially stable. They can get a little anxious at times, but they are committed towards uh, uh, towards maintaining financial security. Certainly, the achiever can do so as well, provided that their goals are are well set. Um, additionally, the reformer is probably known as the most financially uh, – experiences the highest capacity to, for financial well-being of all the Enneagram. Uh, likewise, there's probably about three on here that trend towards um, financial instability. Um, the enthusiast, I think we all know, again, fast times, um, kind of a lack of care about those matters which don't make them feel good. 
the same thing is true with the uh, uh, the individualists as they get uh, uh, they are known for a bit of uh, dissociative avoidance at times. And same thing with the peacemaker; they can tend to just get complacent with a lot of things in their lives, and they are we we see them oftentimes as that forgetful type that we will see in court. Um, uh, when we get to that. Um, uh, we want to discuss some of the coping mechanisms with each one of these. Um, you know, we also have to kind of define what is a stress response. Now, for some of these people, uh, you know, not everybody we show up to and speak with in court, it's their first time there. Um, but they're going to have different stress, result, uh, stress responses to the situation that they're in. Um, there are three basic types of these responses, physical, emotional, behavioral, um, most everything has a physical, emotional, or behavioral response. Uh, physical is like what we get, uh, that dry mouth or a tight chest or uh, that nervous pounding heart, you know, before, uh, uh, before some type of exciting event, like going up a roller coaster. Um, emotional is where we see uh, a lot of the anxiety, and then you basically, this feeds into what these behavioral responses are, is how does this person, a coping mechanism, uh, at least a maladaptive one that's emotionally based, uh, is going to be uh, coming off of what that emotional response is. Uh, sometimes this is, uh, they'll call it an experiential uh, coping mechanism, uh, but there are some common ones that we see within here. Um, if, I guess if you like, Mark, I can kind of start going through some of these coping mechanisms and just more or less applying them to some of these personality types, if you like. Yeah, I, I think that would be very helpful. Sure. Um, so, well, why don't we start with the with the biggest one that perhaps um, many creditors' rights attorneys will hear in the courthouse, uh, denial. Uh, denial is actually a uh, – uh, it's actually known as a, a straight maladaptive coping mechanism. Uh, you know, it's defined more or less, it's just a refusal to accept an external reality. Now, that could be with themselves. It could be with everyone else. Um, and you see that broken down into the different types of denials that you see. Uh, a great example, you'll see a denial of fact where they might even use outright deception, say, I, you know, I, I never signed that contract, or whatever it be, um, that... Uh, uh, that they're going to use to basically say the fact of this, the fact that exists does not exist. Um, you know that failing, they may go to a denial of responsibility where they try to uh, you know, blame or minimize it, uh, perhaps even justify that behavior, um, or they may even uh, they may even say just have a denial of awareness. Uh, say I was, we hear this all the time in court of I, you know I don't I don't recollect ever uh, you know doing X Y Z or you know, that kind of thing. Um, when you see, uh, moving on, I guess, uh, from this denial, you, it flows into uh, what you'll see as experience or anxious avoidance. Um, you hear about people denying the fact or denying the awareness of something, so I didn't know this exists. There are some people that just act like it doesn't exist. Um, you see this quite a bit uh, in the uh, the individualist as well as the uh, uh, the investigator uh, within this enneagram. Uh, it goes back a little bit to this experiential avoidance, and it's a bit more emotional based. Might be a better description in that, yeah, if they've been in that courtroom more than once and they know how bad it feels when the judge you know tells them they have to you know answer questions or they have to try to 
reasonably get this situation fixed up with a with a creditor's attorney um over time uh, you know they begin to associate the situation of some sort of financial strait that they may be in with bad emotions and with a bad emotional response anxiety or otherwise and for many people the coping mechanism with with that is they then begin to avoid it and we see this very very commonly uh, people that that go so far as to entirely duck service or they won't show up for appointed court dates um uh, or otherwise um this certainly uh, uh falls into a lot of enneagram models but it's a very very common thing that we that we see in the courthouse and it, it has uh it has good it has good basis with what they've been through in their lives i guess if that makes sense um one of the other uh, uh potential coping mechanisms that i see i guess uh, frequently is um uh, it's a bit more simple of one it's called projection and that is more or less i'm blaming somebody else uh you know my uh it was my wife that uh that ran up the credit card not me and you know we're we're not together anymore or whatever it be um this is Oftentimes I see this in what I will see as the uh, uh, the achiever setup um, as uh, as well as the challenger setup, where they don't like the idea um, that they are something other than the dominant force within the room. And so as a way of coping with that, they then project the bad part of that onto someone else. Um, and then the last one, I guess that because we are a little bit short on our time here today, um, that I'd like to discuss in more detail uh, or some detail would be the splitting. Um, these people take all the good things uh, and split them from all of the bad. Um, it, it, it's almost an all-or-nothing mindset that you know you're there. Uh, for me, as an attorney, when I'm in when I'm in court with sometimes these people. I'm there to genuinely work something out with them and try to get the situation resolved. That's what my client wants. That's what I want. And really, I think in the end, that's probably what the consumer wants too. Um, but because I am associated with that courthouse that they might not have good memories in, or I'm associated with uh, with a debt that they may have been avoiding prior to that or something to that effect, I then become the bad guy. Uh, and at times it can be uh, it can be difficult to kind of push that separation from them, uh, and you see this uh, throughout the enneagram. Um, I've even seen it from those that fell as reformers or investigators uh, in all of this. It, they, uh, it, I'll be honest, that's probably getting outside the realm of this podcast, but uh, you will see this from at least three or four of the different Enneagram personality types. Um, hope that makes a little bit of sense there, Mark. It does. Um, so I, I know that we're, we're near the end, but let me, uh, you know, I think what would be helpful here is, you know, if you look at the top two most common ones that you were referring to that you started out with here uh, in terms of those coping mechanisms, what are some simple tips that, you know, attorneys or their staff and their firms uh, might want to have in mind in terms of, you know, interacting with those types and, and how they might be able to, you know, help alleviate some of that situation or make it more palatable for both sides in, in the uh, interaction. Sure. sure. Now, I want to caution on this. Um, any interactions with them, we've got to understand where we are coming from. If, if, if one of our listeners is attempting to do an interaction or work an interaction, 
um, that we are not trying to manipulate a consumer debtor or someone in a financial strait to do what we want. That has a very clinical definition known as sociopathy. Instead, we want to be what's called adroit. Uh, that basically means rather than modifying their behavior, we modify our behavior to help them get what they want. I mean, people don't like to be told what to do, I guess, uh, would be a great description for that. Um, but in terms of recognizing an interaction, um, poker tells. There's lots of great poker books out there. Um, uh, uh, people tend to bring their hands closer into their chest as they start getting more and more and more defensive. We all know the arms crossed in a deposition uh, is a very common, I guess, tell. Uh, and certainly I think many attorneys who have spent some time in the courthouse can likely tell uh, – they, they at least think that they know how to differentiate the lies from the truth and that kind of thing. Um, but I would say that with any of these, it comes down to establishing a modicum of trust with any of them and not just the loyalists. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, – uh, you know they tr suddenly trust you with their life or otherwise. It, you're just looking – to key in on cues and body language from them uh, just to get them to drop their guard enough to where you can then begin to interact in a, uh, a more productive way with them. Uh, one of the ways that I do this with many of them, it works with nearly all of these personality types, uh, exception might be the enthusiast, is I just find a point of personal commonality. Uh, it could be something as simple as, you know, hey, the parking was really bad outside the courthouse. That might be enough for some of them to be like, okay, I can have a conversation with this fellow. Um, it could range all the way to the point of uh, I had a conversation with one gentleman in a courthouse in rural Kentucky, and we discussed uh, hunting and fishing for well over a half hour uh, before he finally began to open up enough to me where we were able to uh, work things out on that matter. Um, additionally, I'd also say um, you know, appearance can be useful at times, but you know, I'll tell you, I have gone to court in a uh, in a shirt that I forgot to iron that morning. Um, uh, shoes can be uh, indicative of how that person feels that day, um, whether they are working a low point or a high point. Uh, sometimes you will see that they will purposefully not, or it won't necessarily be purposefully, but subconsciously. They may work. Uh, they may work in uh, uh, shoes that don't fit the dress, uh, or otherwise. Um, so, to that end, I, you know, I would always attempt to t attach something positive to the situation uh, with regard to each one of these personality types. Uh, so, what's going to what's going to cue that positive point of their personality? Because that's what's going to open things up with them. Uh, so with a reformer, you, how are you going to word that or, or make the interaction such that they are cleaning up uh, or organizing or working this goal to a perfect conclusion? Um, uh, for the achiever, it's a little bit more simple. You know, they are avoiding a blot on their otherwise awesome record. Uh, the individualist, uh, at times I've, I've told uh, individualists in court, listen, you, we get this worked out. You won't ever have to see me again. Uh, the same thing can also be true with the investigator. Uh, loyalist is uh, – uh, the way I work with them oftentimes is I will appeal to their need for security. Um, it might be something as simple as, you know, if there's a payment plan being established, well, then there is the stability to be had out of that. 
uh, and you know you can always call us, and we can all, we'll provide you tons of information, that kind of thing. Where I'm working for that trust issue. The the big challenge out of all these nine, I think, um, is pro well, there's two of them really, and it's the enthusiast and the challenger. The enthusiast at times, I almost feel like I have to steer them a little bit um, into uh, almost directing them as to the importance of the situation that they're in because they don't, you know, they just want to focus on the things that make them happy in life. Um, to that end, though, uh, you know, automatic payments and maintaining compliance with EFTA can be quite a good thing with them given their ease of forget, uh, their forgetfulness and their ease of distraction. Uh, and in that regard, I, I do tend to steer them a little bit towards uh, routes in that regard. Uh, the challenger, that domineering attitude, um, it, this is probably the biggest, um, the biggest question mark that I have maintained. I have run, uh, I've attempted to run the submissive attitude towards these individuals where they feel like they are winning, where they are dominant. Uh, but in the end, the end result is, um, uh, a positive result for my client. Um, I've also resorted to bringing another attorney or even utilizing the judge to work a little bit of the good cop, bad cop. Uh, sometimes I'll even work a bit of a good cop, bad cop, um, without disparaging, certainly, with my client as well. Listen, hey, my client says you've got to work it this way, so, you know, uh, I, I, I believe you here, sir, but you know we've got to uh we need to work within the confines of what we got, so how can we get that done type of situation um, that's about as uh, about this is a very very general uh ideas, and certainly I could give you know a ton of examples for each one of these and and how either I've dealt with the situation or I've observed others deal with them, whether it was subconsciously or consciously. Sure. Uh, but certainly, uh, from a conscious perspective, many things that we have seen in court or you know subconsciously modified our behaviors in court uh that's where I'm kind of wanting this whole uh, uh this whole topical area to focus on is to make it more of a conscious effort and to start to discuss and and uh and recognize some of these uh some of these factors in our in our daily interactions. Excellent. So we are now truly bumping up against the end of the time, and I wish we had, uh, you know, some more time here to be able to to talk in even more detail on this. Uh, but I know uh, James that uh, our members, uh, if they wanted to reach, you could find you through our member directory at Gurner and Kearns uh, and talk to you further if they've got more specific questions on uh, how to deal with uh, some of these personality types that they might be coming across. Sure, I am available on there, and uh, if you can't get to me, I, I do have a, either an end-of-day or 24-hour return rule, or feel free to shoot me an email. Excellent, excellent. So any uh, ma main closing thought you want to give to our listeners as we uh, head off the uh, the lines today? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, you know, again, we're just, this is very, very scratching the surface. Um, uh, this podcast, and certainly within the realm of creditors' rights, many of our listeners and otherwise have all seen or experienced many different versions of the uh, the country music song. Uh, is is a colloquial reference here. Um, uh, but the pride of our being able to differentiate or interact with them. Uh, I think that we can very, very much improve that if we start to focus on what some of the underlying basis for what we're encountering is. 
And uh, again, this is just a scratching of the surface on it, and I, I hope it does prompt uh, prompt our listeners to get out and do a little bit of research on them uh, on the subject themselves. They might even find some some helpful practice tips from their their local library. Excellent. Well, James, I want to thank you for taking uh, time out of your busy schedule to join us today and uh, give us some great insights uh, into the psychology of uh, the work that all of you do on a daily basis. Thank you, Mark. It was a pleasure to be here. All right.